everyone. Welcome to That Triathlon Life Podcast. I'm Paula Finley. I'm Eric Lagerstrom. I'm Nick Goldston. And we are all together in Bend. We are on our 101st podcast. We did our Woo! 100th podcast recording last week live with callers and craziness. This episode is going to be a little bit more normal, but really appreciate all the feedback. Seemed like it was a hit. Thank you, Nick, for editing it all night till three in the morning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been really fun. And we are backlogged with questions because last week we called people live for questions. So we got a lot of the email questions to do today. Yeah, I always have this uh, sort of a feeling when I finish up a video project that I'm super excited about that I went extra hard on. I'm like hungover for the next week. And when it comes around time to make the next video, I'm kind of like, oh, okay, we're just doing... We're just doing what, we're do, what we normally do, back to normal thing. But uh, I don't know. It feels good. I'm I'm excited to do a bunch of questions and have some fun. I feel like that feeling that you have, Eric, is even more intense since we're kind of snowed in right now. And we're just like, yeah, no work, no school. We're just staying at home, playing guitar, sitting by the fire, hanging out. Training three times a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're doing a little bit of work. You yeah. guys are nonstop filming stuff. We are. That's true. Um, by the way, who are you guys? <clears throat> I don't even know who you are. Oh, me and Eric are professional triathletes. Nick is a amateur triathlete, professional musician, sound master of the podcast. And that's why we feel qualified a little bit to answer some questions <laughs> right. about triathlon. So the format of this is people email in questions. And if you have any questions, you can email us at thattriathlonlifebrand.com. No, that's wrong. Nick, you do it. You do it. <laughs> I'm, like I'm out of my, my element. Head. I'm shaking my head. I love when you try to do that though. No, if you have questions, you can go to that triathlonlife.com slash podcast. Yes. You're back in the year 2022. Paula. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah. We got a special like <laughs> forum on the website yeah, for the yeah. podcast questions. And there you can also become a podcast supporter. We did have a big influx in supporters last month, which is greatly appreciated. Welcome to all the new supporters. The only difference really is you'll get some perks and you'll be in the draw to win a bottle. And this week's winner is Christian Solera from New Jersey. Yeah. The armpit of the USA. I'm just kidding. I'm from Long Island, just across the water. And it's just as armpitty as New Jersey. I thought it was nice over there. It is. Actually, New Jersey gets a bad rap, but uh, it is really nice. David is from New Jersey, and uh, my, my friend, my running fast David, and he loves New Jersey. Joe Malloy, who I used to train with on the triathlon squad, Jersey Joe, was from New Jersey. The boss, Bruce Springsteen, New Jersey. There we go. What more do we need? If Christian can just email Nick or Instagram message Nick confirming... The address you'd like us to send the bottle to, then do that. And just a little, in case you're new here, we just randomly pick a person out of all of our supporters to win a bottle every week. And um, it's a small perk. The supporter feature is more to like, you know, support us week to week and because you like listening. But we try to do a couple fun things occasionally to That's make right. it worthwhile. Yeah, the supporter <laughs> thing, like we put in perks. And I and actually one of my New Year's resolutions this year mm -hmm. is to add more value to the supporters. Yes. But it was born out of us trying to avoid doing ad reads yeah. uh, and still having the podcast not be a, a money pit, you know, yes. when we buy mics <laughs> and I fly out here and we do videos and stuff. So we really appreciate that to everyone who is a podcast supporter. Okay. So I think we could just go on to questions, but first I just wanted to say that it has been snowing a lot here and we have been doing these epic runs in the snow that have been, it, the a magical thing about it is that even though it snowed a ton, it's not that cold. So we're running out in the snow and, and not crazy gear and we're super comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. The temperature's not cold, but it's very like wet snow. Like yeah. it's, it's quite hard to run in. And I just think of it like trail running where your pace just doesn't matter because you're kind of sludging through it. Your heart rate's high, but your pace per kilometer or whatever is not like, fast. I feel like that's kind of a gift right now. It's like, yep, my pace is going to be low and it's not even my fault. I just, I'm going to go out there and run and I'm not even going to think about the pace too much. Yeah, I guess so. Something that Eric said too, though, about different kinds of snow you can run in. The worst kind of like snow you can run in is when it's been it snowed. People walked in the snow, so there's footsteps. Then that snow kind of melted and then kind of froze into ice. So those footsteps might as well be like slippery cement footsteps. And you kind of like lock into them and slide out of them. Those are scary. Yeah, you just, uh, your foot locks into them and then your ankle breaks because you're not going. <laughs> it just like doesn't come along with you. I ate it today. I kind of yard sale it coming down the trail. Luckily, no one was there to see it. But Yeah, that's the one thing you got to watch out for with this. It's like 
we would definitely recommend running in some trail shoes. Nick was uh, going with the Cloud Monsters. That's all which, I had. Which, which we I had. love, but yeah. those could also be it. make great sleds. <laughs> yeah, they're very <laughs> on sledding. On ski slope. I've, I've been surprised with how good they are, but I think it's because in general, the snow, just because it's a little wet, is very grippy. It's a little sticky, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay, so let's get on to questions. We have so many really good ones, some intense ones, some light ones, but this first one here is a great way to start. Hi, TTL team. Just watched the latest video and was interested to see you testing wetsuits for the 2024 season. This got me thinking about various questions about sponsors. Do Paula and Eric ever disagree when you're testing brands to be sponsored by? There are certain products you prefer or have a shorter contract on to have the flexibility or is longer always better for the security? Is there a performance product you want to be sponsored by but are not? Sorry for the multiple questions. Feel free to pick one if that's easier. I'm not involved in any sponsorship stuff. Just find it an interesting topic. Hope you have great seasons. Sam from London. This is super fun. I feel like we could go on this question for like 20 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Why not? Because there are like five questions inside of it. Yeah. So the first one here is, do Paula and Eric ever disagree when testing brands to be sponsored by? Yes. Not often, but yes. And it was a it was tough last year because there was one like pretty significant sponsor that Eric wanted nothing to do with and I was excited about ultimately we didn't do it um but that rarely happens because I don't know we like the same things the brands we're aligning with are very high quality stuff that we like and that we've tested and um I guess at the end of the day we don't have to be sponsored by the same company for a category like Eric wrote Argon for a long time while I was on specialized and that was totally fine. It just ends up being a little bit more work for splitting the content between showing Argon enough and showing Specialized enough. So it really simplifies it, especially with Eric being the main content creator in our relationship to have the same brands for both of us. So that's kind of what we've trended towards over the last couple of years. It also just seems not fair to mm-hmm. me. Like if, if, I'm, if I'm a, <clears throat> whatever, let's say a, a bike brand, I'm like, great, I'm just going to sign Eric and then Eric's bike is going to show up in the videos, but Paula's fans are going to watch those same videos and we're going to get more exposure than we would normally with one athlete. So I feel like it's not, it's a little unfair to you guys when if, if, if like say a company says, no, we only want to sponsor one person. Well, I'm only sponsored by On. Yeah. And I, I, and I Eric think- wears Solomon's all the time. Totally. But when people who are a fan of, let's say, Eric's Xterra and Eric's mountain biking stuff and they watch the videos, they still are seeing a person wearing on and like companies pay for that kind of visibility. I I do think probably quite a few people out there think I'm sponsored by on, but um, I'm not. And that's okay. Like they take good care of Paula and we're, you know, it's fine. Like in the shoe category is like one category where how you feel about the shoe and how it fits and everything is super, super important. Whereas I say there's probably like between Paul and I, like four co- bike companies out there that we would be fairly excited about. For for me, I made the switch from Argon to Specialized because of a mountain, Argon just didn't have mountain bikes. And it so happened that Specialized was on my very short list of bike companies that I liked. If Paul had been sponsored by, you know, 20 of the bike companies that I'm not interested in, I wouldn't have had that conversation. I wonder, you guys, uh, this reminds me of something you said about like uh, recommendations, advice to newer pros and establishing themselves as a, uh, having like an identity. That's not just, I'm a triathlete and I do races. So you kind of get into the situation where brand A might be, might have a fantastic product, but maybe it doesn't really fit into this persona and this kind of texture that you have around you as an athlete. Yeah, I would say we're probably significantly more picky than most pro athletes around like the branding and the look and the feel of companies, even if they have a product that we're pretty excited about. If their logo, for example, is just awful. It wouldn't be about the logo. I mean, just, I'm just, that's just like an example, <clears throat> but um, yeah, like we do feel like we want to align with companies that have product, people, and a culture that really aligns with who we are. And then it feels like a much deeper relationship when they bring you ideas. It feels like an idea that you might've had yourself for content. It's, it's very fluid. And that rolls into the next question about the duration of contracts. We yeah, would prefer, we would definitely prefer longer contracts, two years, three years. 
The only downside of that is if suddenly I won a world championship and my value is higher, but I'm locked into a certain number that I signed last year. But I I mean, even if I won a world championships, I don't want to go and change bike sponsors. I don't want to go change kit sponsors. I don't want to change running shoe sponsors. So I think it's, it's okay. And it's really nice to not have to go through the negotiation process every single year and just have like a two or three year set contract so that that is just off our plate in the fall. We don't have to worry about it. And it definitely fosters like stronger relationships with people. And the way we operate is we don't have a manager. We have personal direct relationships with each of the brands we work with. And I think that they like that and they feel like they want to re-sign us when the time is up without much convincing required, which was our experience this year. It was really nice. Every contract that was up, they wanted to renew it. So yeah, it's better to have longer usually, but um, the one year does give you the flexibility to like maybe ask for more money if you th- are worth it. The thing is when you say like you could win a world championship, the nice thing is that a lot of your contracts have bonuses built yes, into that. Exactly. So you kind of still get that. Totally. And the bonuses for world championships are good. Um, actually, a couple of my contracts roll that bonus into the next year's base salary. So it's like even more incentive to do well at a world championship. But They never go past third place though. The bonuses? Yeah, like fifth. I don't have bonuses beyond third. No. Yeah. It's uncommon. It's, yeah, probably. Or, or not existent. <laughs> yeah, ultimately the company is paying you for uh, something that's v- significant in terms of visibility. And once you go beyond the podium, yeah, it's three, harder. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you think there's any athlete that would, or a certain kind of athlete that would value a shorter contract? Like someone that's brand new or something? Yeah, maybe. I mean, some... A newer athlete might sign a contract for product only, which I would advise against because right. I feel like that's what does that what does that mean product only? Like you're not getting paid anything, you're just getting you're like ju- free mm-hmm. wetsuit or whatever. But then you're locked into that and you can't leave if a better offer comes. But yeah, when you're just starting, if it's like five thousand dollars for the year and you just do one year because next year you might be worth fifteen or whatever, you know? That that's really the key there is it's like how confident are you because it's a gamble. How confident are right. you in that? what you're signing is going to be considered low at the end of next year? Or are you unsure? Like if you get injured and you're only able to race one time, you could be worth less at the end of the next year. So it's, you're, you're gambling there essentially. Yeah. Um, and the third question was, is there any brands we want to work with, but aren't? Yeah. We're freaking dying for a sunglass sponsor. And it's also ironically the thing that we get asked about the most. Yeah. In this last week, we have received four messages. What sunglasses are those? I'm like, ugh. Yeah. So Here's I. Here's what they are. I think my plan for this year, maybe Eric's too, is just to buy whatever we want to wear and wear it. I really like the look of Smith glasses. We would we would really enjoy being sponsored by Smith for for yes. a lot of reasons. It it, it looks cool. Did we, you hear that, yeah. Smith? Smith, are you out there? <laughs> Still waiting on that. Smith is cool. Pac is cool. Um, We already, I remember we talked about this. 100% is cool. 100% is cool. But I mean, there is a list of of, uh, companies that just won't sponsor us. 100% is on that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But whatever. I think they're cool glasses. So Um, yeah, that's that's the category. And then also wetsuits. We don't have a sponsor this year. We... Um, really like the DeBoer company people, but the wetsuits just don't fit us. So we left that contract and now we're just kind of like free agents and trying a bunch of wetsuits. And that's been kind of a fun process. And we're hoping that whatever wetsuit we end up liking the most, like the Orca or whatever it ends up being, we can start a relationship in 2025. And for people who want like a little bit more of that, Mm. Eric's working on a video that's going to have some wetsuit testing, kind of like a wetsuit face-off, trying to be yep. as impartial as we can be. Well, we don't have to be partial to any wetsuit because we're not sponsored. No, I know. But I guess what I'm saying is there's like maybe an emotional connection to one brand versus the other. And we're going to try to make the person swimming not aware of their times. Yeah. They're just swimming whatever it is as yeah. hard as they can. And they're like, whatever, I'm just a lab rat right now. And then at the end, we'll look at the data. Yeah. A lot of wetsuits comes down to the comfort and fit and how well you can breathe and how confident you are in it. And most that we've tested so far have been 
good. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, like my, my theory is that the suit that we like swimming in the most will ultimately be the fastest suit. But we're by not allowing the person doing the testing to like know the time, we don't want to have this like positive feedback loop necessarily. But it would be awesome. Obviously, we like swimming in suit X, and it turns out to be. Point one second faster right, over a hundred right, on right. average, you know, like that's obviously the dream. Eric, when do you think people can expect to be able to watch that? Um, ideally, we are filming it tomorrow, and it'll be coming out this weekend. Oh, on Sunday? Yeah, uh, barring any sort of complications, <laughs> and if not this weekend, the following vlog the next weekend. Okay, awesome. That'll be fun. There's no rush, really. Like nope. we're not racing until a couple months from now. But yeah, whatever. No, it's just a simpler process to go through with Nick here. That's all. That's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. Then you don't have to, I can shield both your eyes like horses with blinders on. You guys just swim. <laughs> Do not look at the clock. Yeah. Okay. Next question here. Hello, all. How do you keep water? Oh my gosh, this is going to be an inflammatory question, Eric. <laughs> this is going to bring back some uh, some trauma. Um, hello, how do you keep water out of your ears? I cover my ears with my swim cap to prevent water from flowing in, but sometimes water still gets through. Do you wear earplugs? Sorry if you've already answered these questions. Oh, Kelly, yeah, we uh, for the for the keen podcast listener, you know this has stirred quite a bit of emotion in the past. You guys never have problems with this, right? If water goes in your ears, wear some earplugs. Wow, Eric, you've really turned a new leaf. I barely recognize you anymore. It doesn't bug me when water goes in my ears, really. I've had it happen last year where on some swims, my ear starts to hurt. Um, and I can tell that it is the water. But when I like, I like to have my swim cap over my ears, <laughs> beanie over the ears, swim cap over the ears so I can... Uh, just have less of a claustrophobic kind of sense. I feel like your hearing really is a big part of that. And then when it starts to hurt, I do put it over my ears and it stops hurting. But Kelly- Wait, you wear your swim cap? Just like half on my ears, but my but my ear canal is exposed. Yeah, same. You, you do the same thing, Paula. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, but if you had your swim cap fully over your earlobes- it- <laughs> You'd look weird. You'd look a little weird. You'd look like a potato head. I bet bet it's fastest though. Is it not? Just like you don't want earlobes flopping in the water. I just think there's like, there's a point where that's so low that then like your neck is pushing the swim cap up. It just just ends up at like half ear. But Kelly, to, to answer your question in a more abbreviated way, there are earplugs made specifically for swimming. So, uh, they kind of like mold to the shape of your ear and they completely fix this problem. The only thing is that they f- kind of feel a little funny. And we'll make fun of you. And, yeah. No, they're so cool. <laughs> Eric, Eric doesn't want to get can, canceled again. I can, I can just feel the email anecdotes coming, coming in, right now. Yeah. <laughs> and Kelly, just to catch you up, <clears throat> when this was, Eric was very against earplugs and people were furious about it. We got so like many Like personally messages. offended. Yes, yes. They're like, I wear earplugs for medical reasons. It was like he said something that was completely like not kosher, you know? Yeah. But but I completely prefaced it with like, if you got to wear earplugs for some medical reason, then okay. But nobody that I grew up with wore earplugs. That's what I said. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love when Eric gets a little stirred up here. I think even like Speedo makes earplugs. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, okay. Next question here. And this is a coffee question. This is from Van in California. Uh, <laughs> I have a Breville Duo Temp Pro machine. Pretty entry level, but decent. I use a, I, I don't know if this is spelled correctly, 1Z Presso, 1Z Presso, 1Z Presso? Okay. 1Z Presso manual grinder for beans and buy good beans from a local roaster. My issue is that I feel I'm not getting as much flavor from my espresso that I think I should be getting. May seem obvious, but do better machines pull better shots? Maybe the extraction process. If so, are there any decent machines in the $1,000 range? Sure, La Marzocco could be amazing, but dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. Yes, mm-hmm. of course. Thanks for all you do for, for us amateurs and everything, Van. So this reminded me of something that Olaf, who's like a Christian's coach, Christian Blumenfeld's coach, was Never heard about. of any of those people. Oh, yeah. Who? Olaf, the, uh, the snowman in Frozen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got you. <laughs> uh, but Eric, I'm curious what you have to say, and then I'll I'll kind of like regurgitate what I heard Olaf say on on this topic. What was the grinder? A one's a onesie presso manual grinder. I think the my initial thought is maybe the grinder could have more to do with it. Yes. And and how hard? That's you, a nice grinder, though. How hard you tamp it down? Is that the right word? That's tamp- a manual grinder. Yes, that's a manual grinder. I. I <clears throat> 
It could be to do with the beans too. There's a there's a there's a few different uh, onesie presso manual grinders that I'm looking at with a varying price range, but typically the quality of your grinder has a lot more to do with your extraction and the quality of your espresso than the actual machine. Yes, a $6,000 espresso machine is going to pull a better shot than a 1000 but if you have a $200 grinder across both machines, that's going to be the bottleneck by far. So I remember Olaf talking about the different way, like the different processes that then affect the final cup of coffee. And I was surprised at how much importance is put into certain things like the grinder, which I'd feel like it's such a no-brainer. You just grind the beans. What's the problem? But no, it's apparently super important. What he was saying is that if you don't tamp it down the right pressure, if you don't have the right like fineness of ground beans, if you don't have the right amount of water pressure or water temperature, what you can get in the actual like a puck there is like a hole that goes through the middle that the water doesn't- It's called channeling. Yeah, channeling, exactly, which I feel like is a great way to illustrate what actually happens there. The water finds the path of least resistance instead of actually going through all all of the grinds. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And a higher quality grinder is going to have a higher level of consistency across the grinds from the time it starts grinding till the time it ends grinding. You're going to have clumping. So a way that you can like get around this a little bit is by getting one of those crazy little stirry things stirry metal yeah. looks like a torture head device massager. Yeah. you know those head massagers i used to yeah. have that's what it looks so like so some so if you have, you're trying to do the manual grinder thing or you just have a lower quality grinder you can give a little stir with that and that'll help redistribute things so for this person they could probably just keep the machine they have because that's okay but maybe buy a 400 dollar grinder that's not the manual kinds because it it also is just a quicker experience too yeah, the grinder that we had that we really liked was the Eureka Mignon Silenzio. Uh, they have one step up from that that has a digital screen on it, which I would have done at the time, you know, a couple months later. But the Silenzio is a manual knob that you twist. It still works, but um, and I think that's a pretty good bang for the buck grinder at like four hundred fifty bucks. Is that grinder was it very quiet? Yes, it's that the Silenzio a- in Italian means. Quiet. Yes, that's exactly why it's called that. Wow. Then that was a big selling point for us. We didn't want to make this crazy ruckus every morning. Yeah. yeah. So Van, maybe keep the machine, buy a fancy grinder, and then come back to us and let us know if that worked. I wish there were like a, you know how you can, certain bike shops let you test saddles before you buy them. I wish there were a grinder testing the thing. <laughs> so you could be like, oh, it does taste better. If you live anywhere near Portland, you can go into Clive Coffee in Portland, which is where we bought all our espresso stuff, and you can pull shots on a ten thousand dollars espresso machine, a two hundred dollars espresso machine. They probably you want. have a place like that in most like big cities. That's so. Wait, cool. where does this person live? Van from California. Yeah, California. That's a large area. Yeah, but in like a big city, I think you could find a coffee specific espresso shop. Anyway, next question. That's really cool. Good luck, Van. Let us know. Uh, next question here is from Tom in Ferrum, UK. Hello, love the podcast. I think my brain has formed a synaptic link between the feel-good vibes of getting to the end of the working week and the podcast. I think that's a Pavlovian response. Oh, yes. It's like you hear the, you hear the podcast music and all of a sudden you're like, you're it's just It's the weekend, baby. Yes, that's right. Um, okay. My question is about long rides on the trainer. I know the weekly long ride is probably best done outdoors. But when the weather is too awful to ride outside and living in merry old England, sometimes we get one week of nice weather per year and loads of people get sunburned. It makes sense to go indoors. For example, surely a four-hour zone two long ride inside is very different than a four-hour zone two long ride outside in terms of actual consistency of effort and pushing those pedals around. How equivalent are they? For example, is four hours in zone two Indoors equivalent to a much longer outdoor effort? Or do you deliberately incorporate more pedal brakes indoors to reflect the inconsistencies in effort? Traffic, downhills, donut stops, et cetera, of riding outdoors. Thanks for everything you do for the community. Tom, it's funny. This is very apropos since you guys just have been suffering through these indoor rides in the past week. Um. Yes, I've just been nodding really hard. Well, it's our coach Paulo really uh, understands the mental drain of indoor riding, so he never prescribes like any indoor rides over two and a half or three hours because a there's a limit to what you can tolerate. Not just for the long ride, but then to go back on Monday and do another trainer ride, another trainer ride. So when you're doing like over eleven hours on the kicker in a week, it's a lot. So he kind of 
makes these workouts that are intense but shorter. And it's really hard to say whether, oh, four hours outside equals three hours inside. And like, who really cares? Like, what's the effect you're getting? It's leg fatigue, it's endurance, it's... Well, because when I do a four-hour ride in California, at least 35 minutes of that is descending and I'm not pedaling. Yeah, but you're on your saddle, uh, getting bike skill practice. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's hard to compare. This is where kilojoules come into play. Mm. So, yeah. um, Paulo used to prescribe workouts to us based on kilojoules. He still does it every once in a while randomly, but, um, he would like write 2000 kilojoule ride. And if you do that on the trainer, you're going to finish that in two hours. And if you do that outside, you're going to finish that in two forty-five wow. or however long it takes you. And you can spin as slow as you want, just knowing that it is going to be a long, long yeah, day. It's a, it's a metric of like work. It's yeah. nothing to do with calories. And it, and it doesn't, I mean, you can convert it to calories, but kilojoules only looks at actual effort, right? It doesn't look at your basal metabolic rate. Right. So if you stop pedaling right. for an hour, your kilojoules go nowhere. Yes. Right. Exactly. It's, it's like power over time. So yeah. if I'm doing 250 watts consistently for an hour, I'm going to hit X kilojoules, you know, but if you coast down a hill, then, you know, yeah. accumulating. That's a, that's a really good answer to this question though, I think. Is yeah. If you want to compare the kilojoules. Yeah. And what's funny here about asking when you're on the trainer, do you intentionally take breaks or something? That's a funny, like I would think the opposite maybe like when I'm outdoors, just so I, I'm actually getting a better workout. I pedal down hills in two. But on a trainer, like the one of the beauties of it is that you never have to stop, which is maybe a, a double-edged sword. But I think it makes you really strong. Yeah, it makes you really strong. Yeah, I, I would say this is where you could like Zwift would really come in handy for my, like decreasing the mind-numbing nature and just look at the screen and ride like how you would outside. If if you're going uphill almost all the time on Zwift, like I sit up when I start going yeah, uphill right, right. and, just they, instinctively, and, it, right? and the power cranks on and yeah, like if it really funny. cranks on then I stand up for a minute, you know, just like take advantage of that and think about it like you're outside. And you guys are sponsored by Zwift, but you would be using Zwift no matter what. <laughs> yeah, we were using Zwift for a long time before we got sponsored by yeah. Zwift. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I do think the kilojoules is such a, I didn't think of that at all, but it's such it's, a perfect. I hate kilojoule rides because when you are doing them outside, they take forever. Right. See? Especially yeah. if you're kind of the kind of person that doesn't pedal down a hill or whatever it is. It's Or you mountain bike. Okay. Well, let me ask you this then, kind of irrelevant to this, but what does a four-hour outdoor ride feel like indoors? Would you say three hours? Maybe, yeah. In terms of your leg feeling? In terms of the mental, what you feel like you have had, what, what, how much of your soul has escaped your body? <laughs> yeah, right. I would say often it's almost half. Yeah. Like riding brutal. my bike for two hours outside is, is like an hour on the trainer. Like the number of times I've looked to see how long I've been going is the same for an hour indoors versus two hours outdoors. Yeah. And that's what, I feel like you're right. Like the amount of times you've checked how long the ride has been going outdoors is probably the same for two hours as it is for one hour. You've checked like 10 times. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> brutal. Brutal. But the training effect does not double. When no, you're, no, yeah. no, no, no. It's no. probably more like 20%. Yeah. Or something. 10%. Yeah. And if there's coffee shop stops too, of course. Yeah. It's so many factors like where you live, how hilly it is, how many people you're riding with, how many, you know, how many just, yeah, your group. Yeah. Okay. Next question here. Hi, Penf. After the discussion on the pod last week, my question has to do with spring training camps. Aside from nice weather, what else do you look for in a location? Wide bike lanes and plenty of trails, well-maintained Olympic-sized pools with scenic mountain overlooks, fantastic Mexican food. Seems like everywhere is so expensive these days. Thanks, Joe, from definitely not Tucson. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like everything he was saying there is like Tucson. Right, Got right, wide right. bike lanes, Joe, you got good Mexican I, food, I you got a good pool. That's why people go there. But- why it has gotten so expensive. Yeah. That's honestly the deterrent for but, us to go there. But it's not just Tucson. Everywhere. Yeah. But California's always been expensive. But you go to Tucson and it's like $5,000 for an Airbnb for a month. Is that an expense that we're willing to? Yeah. I don't know. We just love our house. We love our setup. It's easy and simple and we're happy here. And it's really hard to pack up and drive for 30 hours and pay $5,000 for a month. You know who doesn't charge $5,000 a month? Nick's Airbnb. That, I'm considering in Santa that, Monica. Nick. I'm considering just the 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 street in front of Nick's house in Santa Monica. <laughs> yeah, we sleep in our van at Nick's house. Oh, yeah that that is fun. I like that idea. I think that Tucson is a little better for triathlon training than Santa Monica. It's way better. 
It's yeah. way better. Yeah, it's better. Of course it's it, better. Oh, the biking is is not as good. Well, it's not as fun. Like Santa Monica biking mm-hmm. is way more fun, but it is as good. Yeah. Yeah. The the struggle with Tucson is like the, the bike the, path. Is whether or not you like the bike path and and how comfortable you are with like flying down the bike path at 20, 20 miles an hour and there's like kids and strollers yeah. and stuff. Because if you live in Oro, if you stay in Oro Valley where the pool is, you're what, like an hour plus, hour and 20 minutes of From bike Mount path Lemon. time to get to Mount Lemon yeah. where everybody goes and like Gates Pass is a little bit closer. So if you stay closer to uh, Mount Lemon, then you're an hour and 20 minutes from the pool. And it's, that it's, is the struggle with Tucson is it's so sprawling. It's hard to even know where in Tucson is the best place to be. I will say it, it seems like you guys don't really take advantage of this or at least you haven't talked about it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the gravel riding there is incredible. There's a lot of great gravel roads outside on the on the edges of the city. Again, you're like you're driving yeah, a bunch to get to that, and when you're trying to do an, a training camp, you need to minimize the car time as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. Like when, when we when we're there, we'll take a you know a weekend trip down to Patagonia and drive gravel because, and, because we can like drive an hour and then do a bunch of stuff and then drive back home. But it's the like we would love to do San Diego, but the last time we were in San Diego. Anytime we wanted to run soft, we had to drive 45 minutes. Anytime we wanted to ride, you know, on our TT bikes, we had to drive 45 minutes, you know, assuming there was no traffic. You spend a lot of time in the car in California. Yeah. Yeah. But um, this has worked in the past. If anyone has a rental place in somewhere that's conducive to triathlon training and a little warm, where we could drive with Flynn, let me know. It's not that we don't want to pay. It's just that we don't want to pay the Airbnb fees. That's true. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. That's true. Those Airbnb fees are brutal. And the cleaning fees. Like, I clean better than whatever cleaners come from. <laughs> right, right, right. Paula is a cleaning machine. That's, that's really true. But to answer this question, other than great pools, great places to run, great places to bike, is there something else that you think is unique to you two when you're looking at a place? Yeah, we really like like one good coffee shop, maybe two. That, and What city doesn't have Yeah, that's true. That? And we like a place where we can be off-leash with Flynn. Mm, that's the big one. That is hard in anywhere deserty with cactuses. Or San, Santa Monica, you just, there's no place. Yeah. Like, Flynn can't be off leash. He uh, hates Santa Monica. He does. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, honestly, we've, we've talked about this like oh, every other day for a while now. It's, it's, it's really challenging to find a place where you feel comfortable on the roads and has all these things in the pools and the et cetera, et cetera. So, um, always on the lookout for the next spot though. Yeah. And then the conclusion we come to is, okay, we'll just stay here and ride Zwift for four hours. Yeah. <laughs> Which make, I don't know, everything around that four-hour ride is better here. Yeah. But, but that it's, four the, hour ride, it's the ride. Like I saw Paula, I went to go fly the drone in Shevlin and then I was driving back. I saw Paula walking Flynn and I just rolled down the window and she, like, she was like, you want, you want to come walk Flynn with me? I just lost part of my soul on that indoor ride. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a little better yeah. outside. <laughs> okay, next question here. Thanks, Joe, by the way. And uh, I, hopefully Tucson treats you well this winter. Hopefully you have a guest house behind your house. Oh, yeah. That'd be nice. (laughs) Next question. This is from Caro. Hey, Paula, Nick, and Eric. I've only recently started listening to the pod, so I'm unsure if this topic question has come up before. I'm still happily working through your 100-episode catalog, so please disregard if this has already been covered. We have covered uh, this a little bit. Uh, Actually, we kind of dedicated an episode to it, but I still think it's a really interesting topic. My question is regarding managing the menstrual cycle during intense training blocks and for events. During my luteal phase, I suffer from severe fatigue, which makes training very challenging. And I'm concerned that if this phase falls on my Ironman 70.3 event, it will significantly affect my performance. After so much training, it would be devastating for something out of my control to have such an impact on a highly anticipated day. And I imagine for pro athletes, this must be exacerbated by the pressure of having to perform at such a high level. Paula, as a pro athlete, how do you manage this? I appreciate that this is a personal question, so please don't feel obligated to discuss. So just in case you don't know, I'm not sure, I didn't know this, but it begins around day 15 of a 28-day cycle and ends when you get your period. That's that phase. The luteal phase? Yes. I am so bad about tracking that stuff. I have no idea what phase I'm in. Right, but do you know, like, oh, I'm going to get my period in... 10 days or something? Not to the day, but like within a couple days. Yeah. But I used to never even get it. So it's like not an issue. And now it's like (laughs) regular. Not an issue. Why were you not getting it? (laughs) Yeah, that was an issue. It was a big issue, yeah. But it was nice to not have it. But now it comes every month. So it 
I definitely get my period at races sometimes, like the day of, the night before, whatever. And it sucks. I get really bad cramps. But when I, I find that when I race with it, I usually movement and training and exercise helps and makes that pain go away. And I can still push through and get good watts and run really well. And I've won races in that situation. So it's not fun, but it definitely is surmountable. And in terms of like the phases and the training and maybe like not paying attention is a good thing. I don't know. Like if you're too, if you're too analytical about, oh, I'm on this phase and I'm on this day and I'm fatigued and I, I don't know. I know Laura Phillip like tracks it really well and she does her strength training when it's in the optimal phase oh, to wow. yeah. lift weights and then recovers in times where it is better for the menstrual cycle, but I do not do that. Yeah. I remember when we talked about this last time, I had cited a study that this is, this the sample size was very small, but the women that were tested did not perform they, their perceived exertion was higher, but their actual numbers were not yeah, I think that's my experience too. It feels harder to get a certain outcome, but it's not impossible. Yeah. And if anything, the motivation to do it is less. So it's harder to get out the door for a workout or whatever it is when you're feeling that crappy. Yeah. But once you get out and do it, it's actually okay. It's funny. I have this memory of that first time that we went to, where were we? Oh, Santa Cruz. It's one of the first times we hung out. And I remember I was driving up and you, you're like, Oh, I was in pain. You were in serious pain. Yeah. So for people like, because I think there's a big difference. There's big swings in how much people actually experience cramping and pain. Yeah. And you, I mean, it was like you were curled up in a ball on the bed. Yeah. I haven't had that experience in a long time. It's kind of different every time. But like I said, when I go and move and walk and run or ride, it gets better. So that's kind of my hack. And I take a lot of ibuprofen if it's really bad. Oh, yeah. I'm not a doctor, but that helps me. <laughs> Eric, do you, are you not like, when I hear this stuff, I'm like, difficult thing to have to just like incorporate into your life every month. Oh, 100%. I get a front row seat to it and I do try to imagine how awful that would be and I have no idea. But yeah, it's hard enough to do what we do if everything was normal and even keel and you feel great all the time, let alone this yeah, this is maybe a little out of my scope of advice, but I did at one point try taking birth control only for the reason of regulating it better so that I could, I don't know if with birth control, if you can like control when you're getting your period. I don't really understand it all, but it was awful for me. I was like crying all the time, mm. worst mood, very bad hormonal response to it. So I stopped. Do you remember that phase? We were together for that? Yeah. We were at Kathy's house. And I was just like, oh, couldn't get out of bed. I was so depressed. I do remember that. Yeah, that was, that was rough. I was like, I would rather get pregnant. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> have a little like, Eric running around. <laughs> a little long John Tiger. I think in that moment, I would have preferred you to be pregnant too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that bad. Huh? Wow. Um, so yeah, that's interesting that for you, you do experience the cramps, but they they're they're just a, a an emotional and mental hindrance. Physically, you feel like you can still perform. Yeah, I think if I'm tired on that phase, if it's because of that, I'm attributing it to something else. I'm like, oh, I trained hard yesterday. That's why I'm tired. And I think a really good resource is Stacey Sims. She's like really big into female health and female performance around like your menstrual health, cycle yeah. and but but like at an elite athlete level. So I think she's been on lots of podcasts. She has a book. Stacey Sims is her name. I've never met her personally, but um. My mom is always like, you need to read her book. You need, like she, my mom praises her. I think she's so yeah. amazing. And it's applicable to a lot of women and athletes that are racing. We all deal with this stuff. So go to that spot for a resource. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Next question here is from Aaron in Arizona. We got a, a few Arizonians. I don't know what the right. Arizonians. I don't know what the right word there is, but. Uh, hello, I love the pod and especially loved episode 100. You all sounded so happy. That's right. I mean, we usually are happy recording the pod, but that was especially fun. My main question, does it bother the top level pros when the bottom level pros play a role in the race and pack dynamics? For example, if a person is a front pack swimmer and strong enough on the bike to hang on, but then atrociously bad at running comparatively. Atrociously bad at running? We were just talking about this, like there's some pros that maybe know that they're not going to have a good race, but still 
swim and then bike very much affect the dynamics of the race and then are a non-factor on the run. They're completely entitled though to do that. They're allowed to do that. Of of course they're allowed, but the question is how do you feel about it? I would say the one thing that I have issue with is if you know you're not going to be able to run, like you're so injured that you know you're not going to be able to complete the race, don't, don't show up and impact the thing. If you just are a poor runner, to to go with this person's example, okay, like what what do you expect? Like this person is working on their run mm. that like they, you got to start somewhere. So what if this person you're talking about that's injured, that can't run? I'm thinking, I'm trying to, I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. They are like, well, my sponsors haven't seen me race this year yet. This is all I can do right now. It's showing up and, and like, blasting com- it on the bike. Confirming that you cannot run is is a positive yeah so it's let not me, even good let me say that it's never a good idea to start a race when you know you can't finish yeah, it a dns <laughs> it's never is a good way idea. worse than a dns yeah yeah i would say great because it's pulling out is not fun but if you do it once it gets easier to do it the next time and you don't want to you get into this weird me- mental headspace on the run where sometimes you'll like, oh, is it hurting? Maybe it's not hurting. I'll just push a little harder. Oh, I'm so close to the finish. I'll just finish. And then it's worse, the injury I'm talking about. So that's not a good idea. But I agree with what Eric said. If you're a super strong swim biker and your run is not your strength, you can completely be in the race for the swim bike. What I would, what I hate is when the pro men. Yep, I knew it. When the pro men interfere with the pro women's race. That is not cool. So to to use your own logic though if they're just doing the best they can to get the fastest time they can and they happen to interfere with your race isn't that them just doing the same thing well i mean like if we pass a pro male and then he comes right in the pack right. that's affecting the dynamic of right. the race that's more bodies in the pack and it's not his easier race easier for people behind him to draft hmm. we were going faster than him i caught him and passed like that's that's intentionally interfering with the women's race. Do you think it's okay for that pro male to latch onto the back of a pack of women? As long so he's not he's not really affecting the your problem race, but he's is benefiting a, from yeah, you. Yeah, if guys. a person does that, then they're it's probably gonna feel too easy. Oh, and then they'll wanna come around to the front and I then see. it's too slow for it's, So so your advice to a pro male who's <laughs> getting passed by you and maybe a couple of other women is to what? If that happens, drop back. Don't try to ride with you. Don't definitely don't pass. Let, let no, the if ego they're strong go. enough to go ahead, that's totally fine. That's should be what happens. Well, if you're passing them, then they're not strong enough. Yeah, then drop way right. back. I would say. I see. Eric, how do you feel about that? 100% agree. If you're getting passed by pro women, like <laughs> your race is for the most part over. Hmm. Yeah, that's that happened one time at Oceanside. I passed this guy like on the hill, maybe 10K into the race, and it was uphill. I remember this. And he like, you know what? The the drafting rules still apply when you're right. a female passing a male. Right, like right, you need right. to get by them in 20 seconds or right. whatever it is. And he was like surging and wouldn't let me pass <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah. And I was like, hey, I'm here. I'm going to get a penalty unless you drop back. And yeah, we all know you can surge at 600 watts to prevent me from passing you, but I'm right. moving quicker than you. Right. And he was like, that's my race up the road. I yeah, gotta I remember, get there. I remember. I'm like, I remember. bro, your race is 10 minutes up the road. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> your race is not five seconds up the road. Anyway, right. that was, um, I'm usually like as nice as possible, but that was one point where I'm like, my race could be over right. if you don't stop f***ing around. Right, right. Love it. I love when she gets fired up. So hot right now. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, Next question here is from Owen. Hi, all. I'm an OG listener. Oh, yeah. Day oneer. From Wales, UK. I'm currently studying physiotherapy at Cardiff University. I'm in my final year, which means lots of early mornings and late nights trying to write a dissertation and do hospital placements alongside my triathlon training. My course mates think I'm crazy. Well, it sounds like you might be a little bit crazy. Uh, My question is this, as someone who one day wants to work as a physiotherapist with triathletes, is it normal for a physio to reach out offering to go on training camps or to go to races with pros? Do you have your own physio in Bend and what qualities or additional attributes make some physios you have used better than others? This is a great question. So if someone wants to be a physio for, let's say endurance athletes in general, are there things that you found that maybe aren't so obvious that attract you to a certain type of physio? 
temperament, availability. A lot of the time, the more experienced physios are better. But um, I think something Eric and I really like is ART, like manual release of like tight muscles and stuff. So being aggressive when you need to, feeling like we feel better as soon as we get off the table. I don't know. That's the type of physio work that we like is like the pin and stretch and the ART. And it's almost like a very specific massage. Having an understanding of the sport, being an athlete themselves usually helps a lot. Yeah. um, I also like physios that kind of step into the, how are we going to fix whatever the underlying problem is here? And I, I know like, Paul has gone back and forth with this because some you go in when you have an injury and you're like, I just want the injury fixed. And, and a lot of physios will be like, okay, but first we're going to do an assessment and we're going to figure out all the stretches and like, to, you know, develop a whole plan when you just want them to like fix it immediately. But I do like having, having both and having a little bit of a plan. It's like, okay, I'm injured. I can't run, but here's a couple of ankle exercises and some things that I can do that should theoretically when I come back and this tendon is fixed or healed, like be better. So I, I like that yeah. approach. We don't really have a dedicated physio in Bend or anywhere, but we have a really good massage therapist. And for me, getting massage once a week is more effective than seeing a physio once a week, um, especially when I'm not injured and there's nothing really, really specific to work on. I think the full general massage by our massage therapist, Scott, who worked with the Canadian national ski team, like really knows athletes. He's an athlete himself. If there's something that's bugging us, he'll spend more time on it. You can tell he truly cares about it. He's not counting down the seconds till the hour is up or whatever, you know, he's like become a part of our team and would help us even if he's a super busy, you know, that type of relationship where you can tell he cares versus like, he's just doing it because he has to. Okay. So I'm going to try to make an analogy here. In 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 music, if you're auditioning for a band, let's say you want to audition for uh, Taylor Swift and you want to be the drummer for Taylor Swift. Let's say there's a hundred drummers auditioning. Every single one of those drummers is good enough to play those Taylor Swift songs perfectly. It's They are way overqualified for, for the gig. Nothing against Taylor Swift's music, but the drum parts aren't pushing the limits of what a drummer can do. So it really then comes down to not just the skill, but are they on time? Are they nice to be around? Do they gel well with other people? Do they understand? In the world of physios, what percentage of it is their actual skill versus mm. all the other stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. The physio that traveled with me um, like to the Olympics and in my ITU phase, she came to every training camp, every race. We We just loved being around her. She was like our friend and she would help with other things besides just physio. So I think that's kind of part of the thing if you're traveling with a team like this person's talking about. And even Scott, our massage therapist who traveled with national teams as a massage guy, he's not just massaging. He's doing other logistical things with the team and helping out along the way. So you really form these strong relationships with the athletes and they completely trust you. And you're all often – working with them in these really vulnerable moments where they're racing a world championship the next day or Olympics the next day and they're fragile or they're nervous and just being able to calm the nerves and say the right things versus just like fixing an injury is super important. And I think that's what I latch onto is someone that inspires confidence that I feel like I can be around regardless of if they're working on me or not. And that's, uh, that's the type of person I'd want to bring with us to a race if we could ever afford that. <laughs> yeah, I think you really need to have all of those things if you want to be considered world class and work with world class athletes. Like, there's, yeah, if you are fantastic at what you do, but you just talk nonstop about yourself, for example, like from the time I show up for my appointment, there are deal breakers, you know. This, this reminds me of what we were talking about in the hot tub about editing video, about you can get really into a certain aspect of the edit without realizing that that's people don't, that's not actually what people care about so much is the whole thing. So the physio, you can be like, I'm going to be the best at ART. I'm going to be so, so good at it. But then you're like a total blank slate when you're in the room. And well, you better actually be noticeably the best. Like if you are so far away the best, then you can, I feel like you can get away with that. That's but, right. This sounds a little bit like the Taylor Swift analogy where it's like, is it a lot of the physios are good enough to do what it takes? Maybe less so than the drummer thing. Like a really good physio, you might deal 
with some weirdnesses, some weird personality things, just be like, wow, they've just fixed my hip. You know, That's every time true, I yeah. made them, they fixed my hip. Yeah. But short of that, it is like a whole package thing. A lot of the time, like the best physios in the US or even in the world have worked with a world best athlete. Uh, and that has like strengthened card. their yeah. reputation. I remember in 2013 or something, post-Olympics, I went to see Gerard Hartman, who was Paula Radcliffe's physio. And he was very the good. Best. Yeah. <laughs> very nice. So good. And it wasn't just like you go in and see him. It's like you go to Ireland for a week and you're seeing mm, him three times a day. Mm. And it's like the super intensive rehab week and came out the other end uninjured. Wow. Like a miracle worker. Wow. So I, a lot of physio, unfortunately, I think comes down to just like experience. But um, yeah, if you can, if you can offer like, a f- more affordable service, like come with us to our race and we're not like paying you 10 grand or something. <laughs> Maybe that's a good way yeah. to like build experience. I yeah. don't know. Cool. Okay. Next one here is for, uh, it could be a quick one. It's for Paula. It's from Chloe. Hi, Paula and Nick and Eric, but this one really is for Paula. I've just got a new tri suit, which doesn't have a built-in sports bra. My last one did. Do you have any recommendations for bras that don't rub? I'm worried about the ones I have not drying quickly and chafing. Thanks so much, Chloe. I think the fit is the critical thing here, not the brand. I mean, I, I always race in the Lululemon Y bra. It's like very minimal. I wear it. I have like one of them and it's white and I wear it for every single race all year. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, don't know. I just can't. It does sound like if you, people's bodies are so different though, that might be horrible for someone <laughs> else. The fit seems like, like you said, like just like for us, fits more uh, important. underwear or pants or socks. Like yeah. What works for me might, may not work for Eric even. Yeah, and it's it's probably less about the um, brand of it too, but just getting one that fits appropriately. So maybe if you're not even like your cup size, for example, but like your your uh, chest cavity, your diaphragm width, or whatever it is, like that's what has to fit. Like for example, I've I don't have big boobs, but I do have like a big chest because <laughs> you're strong, or I just have like a big rib cage. I don't know. It comes from my mom. She had a big, big rib cage, but that definitely is more important than yeah. anything else. Making sure that is not too loose or tight. That's interesting. Eric, we're learning so much today. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> um, <laughs> next question here. Oh, this is an easy one. Hey, Nick, I check Strava quite a bit throughout the day. I noticed that I can never catch a blank Strava post from you. Even from big Strava creators I follow, I can catch the short window between when their watch or computer auto-uploads to Strava and before they have had a chance to add a description or photo. Do you do something to avoid these blank posts or am I just unlucky? Thanks and rock on. Scott, do you guys know what I do for this, by the way? Yeah, I used to do it, but it's a lot of work. It's work. That's, that's That's the only thing. I don't like it. I don't like that you do this. Yeah, sorry. There's a lot of things I do that you don't like. No, I wouldn't say a lot. I thought you're supposed to love me unconditionally. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> um, I, I have them automatically set to private so that they're only- Flynn does too, for the record. Yes. Well, so the best, the two best Strava accounts on Strava yeah. do this. Um, I have it set to private so that I, when I have time, I go in there, make a description, put the photos up and set it to public. It works great for me because I don't like that blank post thing. But you guys work out 17 times a day. And do you always name, rename your activities? Yeah. Uh, occasionally I'll just be really tired. And then this is the problem with uh, leaving it to private and then going back is like when you're like deep in a training block, it is so easy to forget. And a lot of times if I open up Strava and I see my own ride pop up saying morning ride, then I'll fix it. Right. But if it was private, you're I don't like, know if I'm it pops up the same. It. I don't, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Also, I feel like if it's private, you're just like, it's easier to just keep it private. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I don't care as much about, um, polishing the Strava posts or pictures or titles as much as Nick does. And Nick puts a lot more detail in his, descri- in his descriptions. Like for example, today in the car, it uploaded. I went on within five minutes and changed the title and put three pictures that were unedited. Yeah. And that's fine for me, but that's not the way you operate. Well, that's the way I feel like Strava should be, but yeah. I treat it differently. Just like I treat my Instagram differently. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a snowflake. I'm a special snowflake. A lot of the times I'll think of the title while we're doing the activity. Yeah, of course. That's what you do during the activity. Yeah. Or she just takes my best quote from the activity and Ooh. uses it as a title. Yeah, but that works. Don't you like that though? Yeah, I like it. But then I have to leave mine as morning run. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever you see a morning run from Eric, you know why. <laughs> I feel like it's a good creative exercise though. It's like, okay, I'm going to come up with something new and original. And it's not the same as the one I had last time. Last question here from Ronnie. 
Love the podcast. It's a part of my weekly routine. Definitely a must listen. I'm an athlete and coach and was curious on how much time is spent on form review and improvements for swim, bike, run during your training sessions. At the pro level, is this a part of your regular training or a non-topic? If so, how often do you address it? Many thanks for all that you do for the sport. For us age groupers, you are changing the triathlon conversation. Best, Ronnie. Wow, thanks, Ronnie. That's awesome. Changing the triathlon conversation. That's cool. Can we do something with that? That Triathlon Life podcast, changing the triathlon conversation. Ooh. Wow. Okay, so it's funny that you asked this, Ronnie, because literally the last time we were at the pool, we did two passes of filming Paula in slow motion for her swim form, trying to figure out ways to improve her efficiency. Mm-hmm. And I say the last time we did that was six to eight months ago. <laughs> okay, so it's, it's not that common. Yeah, but we, are, we do have a little bit of an advantage, or at least Paula has an advantage in that I film her swimming, you know, artistically every couple of weeks. So uh, there is a little bit more of a feedback loop there. I don't get to see myself swimming that often. Usually when I do, I can't believe it's me, uh, but we don't integrate it in a structured way. And I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys, you can't help it. When you see yourself running, when you see yourself biking, you look at your position. You look at your position on the bike, you look at your form on the run, you look at your form on the swim and you're analyzing. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and there and not a bike or a run goes by where there's not some sort of a picture or a video or something of it, either on a phone or whatever. So I yeah, I guess we do form check a lot. And I'll like form check when I run in front of the mirror on the treadmill and like when I run past the shiny window, just little stuff like that. Or like if the sun's behind me and it's casting a shadow, I can see if my right arm is flipping around in a circle like a like a weirdo. Yeah. So I do the same thing. So yeah, but not in like a all right, I'm going to run here and we're going to send a 45 second video to our coach and he's going to give us tips and just prescribe drills. We don't, we don't get into that it that deep. Okay. I have a question for both of you. Do you think that your swim, bike, run form 10 years ago, has it evolved at all? Do you think it's very similar? Do you think it's potentially like, is the form check to maintain it or are you still looking for improvements? Always looking for improvements. I would say that uh, for me anyway, uh, things have changed a little bit just based on getting older, being just like hurting when we get out of bed for the first 45 minutes and like my hip being all jacked up. My pedal stroke is not as fluid as it used to be and and just things like that. But it's not like we look like a completely different person, but we can tell. Yeah. So no, you have you wouldn't say you've made improvements or are there some small improvements in, in there? I do actually think I've cleaned up my arm carriage a little bit through running. Yeah, yeah. Just, just through the treadmill stuff and, and like paying attention to it and Paulo mentioning it every time he watches me run. And, um, I, I am actively like trying and swimming all the time to be, to be more smooth and breathe a little earlier and do all these little things. That's what keeps me entertained while we're swimming, you know, five days a week. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's like all these things happen in very small increments. So it's not, it's you know like I just, yeah, I don't know. It, it's hard to tell, but it's it's fun to work on. Paula, what about you? Do you feel like your swim, bike, run form has changed in the past 10 years? I have no idea. Because Eric wasn't filming me 10 years ago. I don't know what I looked like. We watched some WTS races. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I used to run much nicer if I watched oh, really? WTS races back in the day. Not just faster, but your form. <laughs> okay, Nick. No, I'm saying because I, <laughs> I feel like you do this a lot. You equate performance and results to something being good, which is not always true. Oh, I see. Yeah. No, I I don't know. I was I feel like I was a little more fluid back then. Now when I see myself, I still feel fluid and I feel good and efficient, but I don't look the way that I think I look. Yeah. Which I guess a lot of people That's don't. All of us. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. Like you took a video of me swimming the other day and I was like, oh my gosh. I felt like I was distance per stroke, wide entry, high elbow, and it was just like a flailing orca. It's just so funny because you're a great swimmer. Eric, you're also a fantastic swimmer. And you say the same thing. You're like, wow. I, can't I love, we were just saying this, Nick. We love Eric's run form. Oh, I, yeah, Eric, we were watching you running when you weren't there. Because I, all Nick's been doing all week is filming Eric run. <laughs> and bike. I haven't even gotten one reel out of this we have, visit. Well, we attempted a reel and it just wasn't up to snuff. Because my run form looked atrocious. Because we're running in two feet deep snow. Yeah. Up hills. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Like Flynn. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's cool. I wonder if uh, I wonder if in ten years from now, what we'll what we'll say about our run forms and our swim forms and our bike forms. Man, if I can still be running in ten years from now, I'll be pretty psyched. Oh, I think so. 
I don't know. It hurts. It, it all, it hurts a lot. Well, maybe you won't time. be running X amount of Ks a week, but maybe you'll be doing some trail running instead. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, I definitely will be. If I'm doing anything, it'll be trail running. I will say that this year or like this off season or whatever it's been, I've felt very few niggles and pains. Yeah. You mentioned it's been, that. It's been kind of like the smoothest running. Do you feel like you can attribute that to anything or, or combination of things? No. No, it's just like time consistency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I, I think, you know, at first I was pretty critical of your strategy to take almost no days off in our off season month. But I do <laughs> think that doing like a little mm. bit of running very yeah. consistently all off season with no intensity might have like gotten you just over the little bit of hump of a hump of like these things that were inflamed. Well, it was, I forget what, I guess everyone knows this, but I was just learning about this, that like your ligaments heal better, not with total rest. So maybe that's what, maybe that's what was kind of happening. And also the off season, it's like no intensity. It's just all easy running, easy biking. You're still doing aerobic activity. But I think what really flares up my issues that I have is trying to run fast or trying to go really hard in the TT position. All those things really mess up my ankle and mess up my hamstring, like these hot spots that really get bugged as the training gets harder. But in off season, when you're just ri- running, riding easy, that's why I think there's hope for us in 10 years. Cause we just won't be like doing super hard stuff. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think the best, the best that I've ever seen you running was at the end of COVID and during, during the COVID year, we were just going and running trails and Flynn was a puppy and we were just having fun. And like, we did a little bit of a tempo yeah. thing occasionally when we felt like it or a QOM attempt, but you weren't feeling like every Tuesday and Friday you need to run 320 per K yeah. in super shoes and you know, you got a race coming up in two weeks. It was, that stress was not there. And it was that's kind of more like how we rolled with this off season. Yeah. I I feel like doctors probably used to be like, Your knees hurt, you should stop running. And I feel like we've come a long way since then. Now you see people like they're 45, 50 years old having your problems and doctors like, all right, see this physio, you need to strengthen like your hips. You need to start strengthen your glute mead and that'll help you like i feel like there's more Just do hope. some clamshells you'll be fine <laughs> the clamshells do help but i feel like that's the kind of world we live in now where it's like no it is doable you know you just need to work on it you need to work on your strength stuff maybe yeah. your form stuff yeah. whatever totally okay that's it guys that was it that's it oh wow we that did was, it went by fast yeah. we're at one hour and seven minutes on the counter well, you'll probably edit it down to it'll, an hour. It'll get pared down a bit, but we didn't really even mess up that much this week. Though. No, I barely had to. I'll barely have to do anything. I did skip a couple questions because I was afraid we were getting we're going a little too long. But okay, well, we'll we'll pick up with those next week. Yeah, Nick's here for two more days tonight. We're making pizza to uh, satisfy his Italian blood. Yes, that's right. And I can uh, say I can use that accent. It's a, it's my own heritage. <laughs> it's been fun having Nick here. He's gonna move here, even soon. though Paula says that she feels like I've been here for a, a month already. Yeah, but it's fun. I feel like you guys are in better, great moods because Eric has someone to go fly drones with. And I don't know, you're down for anything and you always want treats and it's perfect. (laughs) The the way that we've been talking about this and the way that you talk about it, it it sounds like the only thing we do all day long is go fly drones, fly remote control drones and we're not being productive or doing anything at all. I have flew drones today for five minutes. Yeah, I've been wildly productive while you've been here. Yeah. And it's been, it's been great. Good. Someone said there was a question that I don't even know if I put it in the list, but it was like talking about our hobbies and passions and stuff. And like, if we could have the Holy grail of one thing. Yeah. I didn't put that in. And to me, they said it to me, like if you could have an at home donut chef or something, I'm like, there's more to me than donuts. I don't even like Nick. You're the one that started the whole donut thing. You know what the funny thing is like donuts are great, but they're not in my like top three. Of like sweet treats. Yeah, I don't know why. I love I ice have cream more. I love of... cookies more. It's because it's I don't know. There's something that's a little funny. It's like Homer Simpson had donuts. You well, know, they're super photogenic. So if we ever have donuts, they get a picture taken of that's them. That's right. Yeah, and I do love just like a regular chocolate dip donut. That would be my number one baked good treat. But it's not like we get them. Maybe once a month we'll get donuts. Right, Eric? Okay, I get donuts more than once a like month. I... If we're being fair. Oh, you do. Yeah, yeah. but Ball and I, when you're not here. Like we do all our donating when we're with you. Yeah, right. <laughs> we do our donating with Nick. We're more, way more likely to go get burritos after swimming than donuts. But do you? Okay, let's let's we'll finish on this because I didn't include this question because I thought it was a little too. I struggled to come up with something for myself, which I guess is a good thing. But the question was something along the lines of, outside of triathlon, is there a holy grail of thing that you want? 
that would make your 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 life great. And they use like, oh, Eric, maybe it's a photography thing. Nick, maybe it's a music thing. Paula, maybe it's the donut thing. And I could, I, I maybe it's because I live such a fantastically great life, but I couldn't even. I was like, I have everything I want. I, like a, an e-bike to rip around Santa Monica would be fun, but I couldn't really think of anything. Yeah, like yeah. A material thing. Yeah, it's a material t- thing. A material, a material yes, thing. Yes, a material thing. Yeah. DJI running 4D. <laughs> that, that didn't take long at all. <laughs> a Smith sponsorship. Yeah. I will say the Ronin is, that thing is amazing. Ronin. The 4D. Ronin 4D. I'll also take the uh, the long range transmitter module. Oh my God. The whole thing. Their whole setup. Yeah. There's nothing in my, that I, a material thing that would make my life better. Nothing. But if I could go down the list of picking things, it's all house things. It's like I want a – if I could get cool art for the wall, that's like – art's like $10,000. Like yeah. that's what I would do is just make the house as cool as possible. I would <clears throat> renovate the kitchen. I would – Get some cough drops. Cutlery for the kitchen. It's like all adult stuff that I never would have ever even thought of. I think part of – getting older, if you're doing it right, is putting less and less value on material things and just enjoying what you do. Like yeah. I, everything that I would want, I'm like, it's experiences, it's people, it's relationships. It's not a new toy. As much as I love like tools for a job, I feel like I, I don't know. That's not where I p- place my value anymore. Totally. We did, we did just buy home pods yesterday. <laughs> and they're amazing. <laughs> we love them. We went to Best Buy and we were, we fell for the Apple ones. Yeah. They're good. All right. Is that all? That's all pizza time. Somebody order pizza? No, we're making pizza. Okay, thanks for listening. We'll chat with you guys next week. Bye. Later. Later.